studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. More doses hitting the street every day. The U.S. now expects to have enough vaccine for every adult by the end of May. But not everyone will have to wait that long. A group of great apes in San Diego have made history as the first animals to receive the COVID-19 vaccines in the U.S. According to a wildlife health officer, the decision to administer the vaccines came after eight gorillas at the San Diego Zoo became the first great apes in the world to contract COVID. Okay, okay. I know some people out there might be mad that apes are getting the vaccine before them. But it's all part of the priority list, people. It goes healthcare workers, the elderly, people with underlying conditions, apes, <laughs> then you, right off the teachers. Children, people who don't want it, everyone who became elderly while you were waiting, then all your friends, then you. So just be patient. Honestly, I think this is great. <laughs> then That's all your funny. friends, then you. <laughs> You That's know, I the way it has felt so far. <laughs> I'm no zoologist, but I'd like to congratulate San Diego Zoo for having great apes. I, I grew up going to the Brookfield Zoo in Chicagoland. They had mediocre apes, and then the Brooklyn Zoo has downright crappy apes. But the apes in San Diego are great apes. Congratulations. Kansas City Zoo had great gorillas, free and fantastic gorillas in the Kansas City Zoo. Um, uh, I could sit at a gorilla enclosure yep. and watch them interact for as long as I could watch a Netflix show. Like I, I absolutely love watching them just do their, their gorilla stuff. And, and, but uh, should they get the vaccine before the rest of us? I don't know about that. My parents, my mom sent me an email last night. They finally got uh, their first shot. Wow. My mom's uh, Joe Biden's age, and uh, uh, my dad is 82. Um, Joe Biden's age when he runs for that glorious second term. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, so they get their so then they'll get their second dose here in three weeks, and then they're 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 the bulletproof old people. Finally, they're we can invincible. go. We can go visit them again, and then my 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 kids who want to see grandma and grandpa and haven't been able to for a year get to see the grandparents again. It's huge. Yeah, it is huge. Good for them. That's happy news. So uh, just a quick, if I wasn't an idiot, I would have asked Positive Sean to get the tape uh, together of Governor Gavin Mussolini, lunkhead dope governor of California. Oh, by the uh, way, we're talking to a U.S. senator here in a few minutes. That's worth mentioning, the great Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, so uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, but when uh, Greg Abbott came out with uh, Texas is opening up, his big announcement, uh, lunkhead Gavin Governor Newsom said, among other things, that's a reckless, terrible. Uh, in Texas, the uh, cases are an order of magnitude worse than California. Well, according to alert listener John, he is, as usual, FOS. I'll let you uh, figure out what that stands for. But uh, John helpfully included Fan some. Fan of sunshine. Mm, keep working on it, Shawnee. Fancy on uh, skates. i'll I'll spot you the first two words they're full of the current numbers comparing california florida new york uh actually this is new york city is that right and texas it's gotta be new york state anyway uh taking a look at the current numbers this is new cases of covid19 uh, California is indeed doing quite nicely, incrementally better than Texas. I mean, a tiny bit better. Um, and let's see, what is that? Florida, but Florida is doing slightly better than California. 
new deaths according uh, attributed to COVID. The numbers are tiny, absolutely tiny. Uh, Florida is the best. Uh, Texas is significantly better than California, but all of the numbers are tiny. Gavin Newsom and Andrew Cuomo and politicians all over the country are more than willing to just look you in the eye and tell you something that's not true. Now, I not hope the, you realize that. They're not the only ones. It seems to me that everybody's comfortable, uh, various uh, doctors, politicians, and media people talking about which um, uh, theory works and then just throwing around some, 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 some numbers about this state did this or that country did that. To back right. up their particular point of view. And I often hear them and think, I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah. I heard Dr. I, Fauci over the weekend talking about um, various states where, and then when, then when they loosened up, the COVID came back. And I thought, I don't think that's true. I don't think there's enough rhyme and reason to that. I think it's been much more random than that. Yeah, and I, I meant to point this out as well to your point, Jack. I'm looking at just the, and it's a uh, line graph, and just looking at the California line and the Texas line, uh, Texas was uh, doing worse than California. Then it was doing way, way better. Then it was doing worse. But then right. it was doing better until it was doing worse. Then it was doing better. Then it was doing a little worse. That's why you can pick a point in time to back up your argument. But it seems to me that the numbers are way too all over the place for anybody to make any solid uh, statement about what works and what doesn't. Yeah, but to Gavin Newsom saying that Texas is an orders of magnitude worse, unless 1.1 is an order of magnitude, I don't even know what that term means. It was deliberately and ridiculously dishonest. Mm. Enough uh, said. We're not going to have time for this because we want to uh, take a break and uh, talk to a U.S. senator as they're getting ready to... How does she have time to talk to us? I thought they were starting the uh, Votorama on the, the $2 trillion package today. Do you know who we are? How does she have time to talk to us? Don't they have to be in there? So I'm looking up there, the COVID relief. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll ask her. Um, but we didn't get to do cuttlefish have a longer attention span than children or more willpower. <laughs> or both. <laughs> or both. And if they did, what difference would that make? Well, they've got a new, you remember the Stanford marshmallow test? We've talked about that many times, and we'll re-explain it if you haven't heard it. It's It's fascinating. Uh, about children and willpower and what kind of person you're going to end up being. but uh, Oh, right. They've got a new test that involves comparing your kids to fish for some reason. I don't know exactly. I don't know what good I would do with that information. But... <laughs> Raise fish instead? I don't... <laughs> kids, you're fired. I'm getting a tank full of cuttlefish. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be talking to the charming Marsha Blackburn, U.S. Senator from the state of Tennessee, in a moment about the giant porktacular what-the-hell-is-it bill. Also, she's hot to trot on something we are, and that's the NBA cuddling with China. Right. I love that topic. While judging the United States harshly. Can't wait for the conversation that's coming up next. Apologize, um, you know. You know we love China. We love you know playing there. 
I know for, for both of us individually, we go there, you know, once or twice a year. They show us the most important love. So, you know, we appreciate them as a fan base and we love everything, you know, they're about. And, and, and you know, we appreciate the support that they give us individually and as an organization. So, you know, we love you. That was James Harden, NBA star, talking about how he and LeBron love uh, China. This was back during the flap where the, uh, the, what, the, what, the one of the owners or general manager or whatever from the Houston Rockets lost his job for saying something anti-sane, something <laughs> sane, saying something anti-China. And when we found out there was a U.S. senator that wanted to talk to us about, among other things, the NBA's relationship with China, man, we jump at that opportunity because we're we're big on that thing. We will indeed deal with that in moments with Marsha Blackburn, the U.S. Senator from the great state of Tennessee. Uh, Senator Blackburn, how are you? I am doing great, and thank you so much for caring about this issue with the NBA in China. Well, it's it's absolutely horrific to hear the criticisms of the U.S. on practically a daily basis, meanwhile making love to the worst regime on earth. But before we get to that, we're kind of surprised you're not in the Senate chamber voting on what you're calling, and I love this, Biden's blue state bailout bill. What's going on with that? Well, they we have the debate going on right now on the floor. Bernie's been down there begging for a $15 an hour federal minimum wage, and of course that is very unpopular in states like Tennessee. The minimum wage is, you've got your federal minimum and then states make adjustments because it's different in different areas, and uh, we think that that's the way it ought to stay. But what we have to realize is that the Democrats are in overreach mode. They know they're going to lose the House and Senate in 2022. So what they're trying to do is get in that race car and loop around the the track, get to the finish line, and take away a lot of your freedoms when it comes to your job, your children's education, uh, where you work, how you work, how you live your life, how you use and consume energy. They're just uh, ready to take those freedoms away. This is almost a $2 trillion uh, piece of legislation. Giant things like this didn't used to pass that weren't bipartisan. We're just into a new era, I guess. Well, and we have done five bills that have dealt with COVID relief. And these five bills have all been overwhelmingly bipartisan. I mean, like they would get 90 votes. And now the one bill that the Democrats are doing will be a party line vote. And, of course, we're looking for one Democrat that will vote with us and will stop this because out of this $2 trillion, 9%, 9% goes to COVID or COVID-related relief. 1% of this bill goes to vaccinations. The rest of it? It goes to blue state bailouts, to humanities, to arts, to infrastructure, to loan forgiveness for certain loans for certain people. It's full of earmarks. It's even going to pay federal employees to stay home with their children for 15 weeks because the teachers unions are not going back to the classroom to teach the children. 
Well, and listen, if I were to call you a liar, Senator Blackburn, say 9%, that's ridiculous. That's twice as much. That would be 18%. Less than one-fifth had anything to do with COVID. It's just an excuse. You know what we all need to do who oppose this sort of thing? We need to come up with one name to call this. A blue state bailout bill, that's that's not bad. but Because anytime a newscaster calls it the COVID relief bill, they're perpetuating an untruth. Well, it's all total pork is what it is. And it is just disgusting what they are doing to future generations. They're capping our children's uh, economic opportunity because the taxes to pay off all this debt are going to be so high on our kids and grandkids. Amen to that. You know, you made the point that you only need to get one Democrat senator to not vote for it, and it doesn't pass. How does it work there in the Senate? Like, do you personally go and talk to to Bernie, who say, Bernie, you shouldn't vote for this? It doesn't have the minimum wage stuff in it, or or Joe Manchin, who's you know who's uh, uh, leans more conservative. Do you have personal conversations with these people, trying to convince them, or how, how does that work with your friendships? Sure, sure, and we're going to have a string of amendments that we are going to offer that would reduce spending. And of course, we're talking to them, trying to get their support for these things, giving them the opportunity to be more fiscally prudent and responsible. Marsha Blackburn, U.S. Senator from the state of Tennessee, is on the line. I want to make sure we have time for this, because we'll keep banging the drum on the giant bailout bill. Uh, But it's been suggested that the NBA actually teamed up with the communist Chinese to ban players from discussing human rights abuses. What do we know about this? What should we know about it? Well, we don't know a lot. And that's why I've sent another letter to Commissioner Silver saying, hey, we understand that you have come to an agreement and have a contract with China TV. By the way, China TV is primarily owned by the Chinese Communist Party. And China TV will censor anything that is not favorable to the Chinese Communist Party. So we're seeking to find out some of the details of that NBA agreement. Have they agreed to certain speech or not because the Chinese have a series of very egregious human rights violations. Look at what they're doing to the Hong Kong freedom fighters, the Tibetans, the Taiwanese, the genocide they're carrying out against the Uyghurs, which is the minority Muslim population. How they're using these people as slave labor to make products there in Xinjiang province where the NBA has their practice facilities. And this product, NBA licensed product, is sold through Nike and different sports companies. So yeah, we want to know what have they agreed to say and how are they tolerating this genocide that's being carried out against the Uyghurs. We also want to know the financial impact to the NBA. Uh, A couple of years ago, we found out that broadcasting their basketball games in China was worth about $3 billion to the NBA. So, since they've constructed this agreement, we want to know what the details are. We also would like to know what the participation of Michael Ma is in all of this. Now, his dad, Jack Ma, is who is one of the owners of 
China TV along with the Chinese Communist Party. So we would like to have some of these details of what the NBA is doing with China TV and the Chinese Communist Party. That's really interesting. You know, I'm willing to give a pass to to all of us, really, because Republicans and Democrats and administration after administration for, what, 50 years has has believed that if we you know we let China participate in the global economy and help them along they'll they'll come around our side. We all realize that was a mistake. Are we entering an era now where co- you big US companies just aren't going to be able to do business with China? What we have to do is look at unraveling our relationship and being very thoughtful and then trusting and verifying always verifying uh, what you're hearing from China, whether you're producing a consumer good, uh, manufacturing a semiconductor chip, or uh, looking at any type of participation. Most businesses in China are owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Most members of the Chinese parliament are leadership of the Chinese Communist Party. And by the way, the bulk of them, they're multi-multi-millionaires or billionaires. Senator Blackburn, I apologize for jumping in right there, but we're up against a hard break. U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, a real pleasure to talk to you. Good stuff. We hope we can do it again. You got it. Take care. Bye-bye now. Thank you. You know, I wish we had just a little more time because I was going to put things in, in a rather difficult way for about decoupling with China. I appreciate, you know, the trusting and verifying, but can we be enriching a regime that is utterly, indefensibly evil? Well, I thought it was interesting, a U.S. senator saying we need to be in the process of detangling with China or decoupling with China. That's that's a, that's a major policy change by the United States of America. Lan He Chen coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. As a candidate, Joe Biden once went 89 days without ever holding a formal news conference. I'm happy to take questions if you have them. Now as president, Biden's at 43 days and counting. And all of President Biden's most recent predecessors had held one by this point in their presidencies. Yeah, and wasn't even close for most of the presidents. Anyway, so he did three months without a press conference as candidate and won. And now as president, he hasn't done one at all. The longest in in a president in a century. That's something. Yeah, we were talking during the commercial break about, you know, he'd promised bipartisanship when he was running. And I was thinking he hardly ran at all. I mean, I think he said that once. The, but... the, the only reason I care, like, I don't I don't think it's that big a deal. Um, uh, people were, you know, how often does Trump give a press conference? Well, he'd, he'd walk from the plane and stand there and answer questions for an hour sometimes. So I don't know. But the the difference between you won't ask questions for policy reasons and you can't ask answer questions because you're so old you can't keep it together those are different things let's uh welcome lon he chen into the conversation lon he is the david and diane steffi fellow in american public policy studies at the hoover institution and the director of domestic policy studies at stanford university a charming little community college in northern california lon he how are you sir (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Yeah, we know California. California is your home base. Um, uh, before we get into the uh, the nitty gritty, are you double masking? Gavin Newsom, governor of California, this is how he slapped back at the governor of Texas yesterday. Oh yeah, you're going no mask. I'm saying double mask. He came out yesterday and said Californians should all wear two masks. I find that hilarious. And maybe even by next week, three masks. Yeah, I mean, isn't that the problem though with with our you know, kind of where things are with our politics is that you know, people automatically feel a need to react in the complete opposite direction. <laughs> and and not, not necessarily because, you know, I mean, look, whatever the CDC guidance is, which has, you know, changed like 85 times since the start of the pandemic, I think people are exhausted, quite frankly. You know, I mean, they're, they're just exhausted of the pandemic. They're exhausted of uh, public health officials telling them things and then changing their minds a week later. They're exhausted of politicians breaking their own rules. And, you know, at this point, it's one of those things where you, you just people just kind of want this to all be over. And I think the challenge when you have someone like Newsom who decides to deliberately go out there and try to make this some kind of political issue is that, you know, people just tune out at some point. And, and that's unfortunately, you know, we are so close, I think, to really kicking this pandemic here over the next couple months. Uh, you know, what I worry about is that you've got politicians and they're the ones who are going to get in the way, frankly, of us trying to get rid of this thing. Yeah, they're going to try to hang on to it. Hey, we were just talking to a U.S. senator, uh, Marsha Blackburn, and, you know, she's in the midst of uh, voting and amending and trying to fight the two trillion dollar stimulus package. Is there any price to be paid at this point in U.S. political history for doing things nonpartisan? Uh, all Republican votes are all Democrat votes. It doesn't seem like it. Well, it doesn't seem like it. And, and this is really disappointing, you know, for some, because Joe Biden was out there. He, he said this a lot when he campaigned for president, that he was going to be a different kind of president, that he was going to work across the aisle, that he was going to be bipartisan and try to come up with solutions together with Republicans. And then the very first major piece of legislation, the guy since he took office has signed one bill. That bill was to allow Lloyd Austin, his secretary of defense, to serve as secretary of defense despite uh, you know, his uh, active duty military status. That's the one bill he signed into law so far, by the way, in, in, in the last, you know, over month. So the first everything else was an executive bill, order. That's that's an interesting point exactly. to make. Wow. Everything else was an executive order. So the first major bill that he's going to sign, which he'll sign next week, is this two trillion dollar spending bonanza, which was put together with only Democrat votes. So, you know, you can forgive the American people for being a little skeptical of our politicians when they say one thing and they come out and they do the exact opposite once they take office. It's very disappointing, I think, in that regard. But look, I think Republicans are right to point out the problems with this bill. They're right to point out that there is a lot of stuff in this legislation that is really just about spending on on progressive priorities. Um, and, and I think it's important for people to recognize that because there will be a temptation if you watch the news, if you watch mainstream media to say, why are Republicans standing in the way of covid relief? And, and in fact, nothing could be further from the truth if you look at the facts of what's actually happening. Well, you're a policy guy. You've advised candidates. The majority of Republicans approve of this thing. And then overall, it's like 73 percent. I mean, what do you Republican what are you gonna do? voters? Yeah. Republican yeah. voters. Well, right. And I think that's, you know, that's part of the challenge here is explaining to people, well, why are you voting against it? Right. I mean, if it's so popular, why are you voting against it? And and it's tough, right, because the explanation takes like I mean, I could explain it. It's going to take 10 minutes to explain all the reasons why I think this bill's a bad idea. But it only takes, you know, 30 seconds to run an ad that says, why are Republicans voting against covid relief? 
And, and, and that's the challenge in our politics. And I think Biden knows that, by the way. Biden and the Democrats know that. They know that it's a heck of a lot easier to make that 30-second argument that Republicans are voting against COVID relief rather than the longer explanation of why we could have done this in a much smarter, much more effective, much more targeted way rather than giving $350 billion to states like Illinois and California who don't need it and really will just take it to bail out bad you know, practices over the last decade. I mean, that's really what right. this is about. A couple of quick thoughts on that. Um, the Republicans' conservatism desperately needs a charismatic and effective communicator, somebody to rally around. Because, as we said earlier, it's like I came up with this idea, make our children's lives better. And 90% of this program I've come up with is cocaine and hookers and golf vacations. But I've gotten the media to continue to call it the making our children's lives better. We need to get together on messaging to bring this sort of thing down because we're up against the mainstream media. Um, having said that, uh, Lon He Chen is on the line of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. It, we were talking about uh, Joe Biden and his urges to be bipartisan or, or, or maybe not. And I realize this is a crazy broad question, but to what extent do you think Joe Biden is the leader of the Democratic Party really behind the scenes right now? Um, I think he's a I think he's a caretaker. I think he's somebody who at this phase, Democrats are willing to defer to. But. In fact, going on behind the scenes, you know, there's a lot of talk in the, in the media about, oh, the Republicans are divided and, and look at all these splits over Trump. The Democrats have their own very serious divisions between a, a far left progressive wing of the party, which has been ascendant for many years now, and, you know, a sort of more mainstream left or more centrist left. And in, in some ways, Biden is a vestige of the past. I mean, he really is a, a legacy back to when you could argue that, that, that there were more moderate Democrats. Now, that's kind of strange to say, because Biden, over the course of his career, actually has been quite liberal. Uh, but nowadays, by, by contemporary standards, you know, he's, he's relatively moderate. So he sort of is there. I, I mean, I think that's the best way you can describe him. He's there. Uh, and the far left is is continuing to push him. And if you look at how the stimulus bill turned out, by the way, the fact that you've got Biden working with just Democrats, you've got all this pork barrel spending in there, that suggests to me that the progressive left is a lot stronger and a lot more powerful than most people realize. Even though Biden's president, it's really the far left that is pushing the party in the direction that it's going today. It's really interesting, this power of politics phase that we're going through, where if you just have the numbers, you can do it. I'm, I'm not even sure why we have representatives. I mean, you get you got to elect them, but once they're elected, you just add up the numbers, and if you have it, you know, sorry, you can't have that nominee because we've got the numbers. You can have this because we've got the numbers. You don't even really need the representatives arguing about things, it would seem. Yeah, it's all pretty automatic. And and by the way, you know, there's talk that that the Democrats. I mean, that you, you've you've heard this since the election that the Democrats might eliminate the the supermajority requirement uh, in the Senate that they might get rid of the filibuster, and and that would turn the Senate into basically the House. You would have two chambers of the Congress that have the exact same incentives. They'd both be you know majoritarian. Fifty percent plus one gets you whatever you want. And, you know, kind of destroying the character of how these two chambers are supposed to yeah. be different. And and it's frustrating when, when you know, the minority party can't get anything done in the Senate. And I, I think for Democrats, they're hoping, look, some of them are saying, why don't we just get rid of this thing? We could do whatever we want. 
for the next couple of years. Sure. And the reality is they don't think about what could happen when Republicans have control of everything and they can do whatever they want. It's just a very bad cycle for us to be in. Right. And let me poke my heads out of the weeds and be the common man for a second. Lon, he feel free to agree, disagree or elaborate as you think is fit. But the, the problem with what we've just described is that you will have uh, U.S. domestic policy, whether it's health care or health insurance or regulation or or uh, energy or whatever, veering wildly from right to left with each administration. You'll have American foreign policy veering wildly from right to left, and other countries will be just scratching their heads wondering who's going to win the next election. We will completely lose any sense of continuity in in our lives and our foreign policy. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly the reason why we, we don't want this to happen, because you're going to have one regime, you know, like, let's say the Democrats are in charge now. They can say, yeah, let's let's do single payer health care. Let's do government run health care. And then the Republicans will take over in, in the entirety in a few years and they'll turn the system back into, you know, entirely something different. You know, one one where you've got strong market influences and where the states take more power and and. It's hard, right, because healthcare is like 20% of the economy. You can't go changing it fundamentally every couple of years. It's not like something you can calibrate up and down. And healthcare is just one example. I mean, you can go across all sorts of different issue areas where you don't want to be listing from one direction to another. You want to try to the extent you can to have durable policy, policy that's built to last. And that is not the system we're in right now. We're in a system where politicians want quick victories, they have incentives to move policy in massively different directions, and they don't care about the consequences. You well, actually just, go ahead. I was just on a practical note, just for the folks listening. If if your company, the company that employs you, major American corporations, don't know whether they're going to be paying ten percent or twenty five percent federal tax, it makes it impossible to plan and grow. It's going to hit you in the pocketbook. You actually and have gonna... a Dodgers fan in your uh, little bio thing for your Twitter feed. Yeah. How do you feel yeah. about, because uh, that's how big a baseball fan you are, how do you feel about the more deadened ball that's supposed to give us fewer home runs and change the game back to a little more like it used to be? Are you a fan of that or not? You know, I liked all the homers. I mean, I don't mind I don't mind the ball being a little more lively, and huh. I don't mind you know, these guys being able to, to, to get a little bit more offense. But, you know, I mean, look, I just – I'm just really glad baseball's back again. You know, I mean, I think I think it's one of those things where during the pandemic, when it first started last year, one of the the I don't want to say one of the toughest things. There are a lot of tough things about it, but one of the things that really was was a challenge was not having live sports and not being able to to watch. And you know, my son's a baseball fan too, and we watch together. And oh, so great. I'm just excited that there's spring training. Yeah. And we're going to have a season, and it sounds like Newsom's going to allow some people to sit in stadiums, which is even better. Hopefully, we can get back to fuller capacity by the end of the year. We can actually go to a game. So Newsom or whoever's governor at the time. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Uh, Lon He Chen, who. Rock. Uh, Lon He Chen, we had no idea he was a home run loving lunkhead. Oh, it's all about small ball, the double steal, the run. Lon He Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. It's always great to talk. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. I love the response to the the taking away the mask mandate in Texas is we're going to double mask in California, even though the numbers have gone down so much. They're like opening schools and indoor restaurant dining has come back and everything like that. But you still get into the mask pissing contest with a different big state governor. Hilarious. Give me a week. I can find a 16 year old who can run California better than Gavin Newsom. You give me a week to take applications and do interviews, I guarantee you we could get an upgrade. That's just complete, utter nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? You dope.
Uh, you gotta, you gotta have the hit and run and the steal and the the strategy oh, and the yes. substitutions based on you know, all the different things. It's just yes, no simplistic. Oh, look, he hit ball far. No, come on, strike out, home run, strike out, home run. What the hell Boom. is that? Boo! <laughs> Our text line is four one five two nine five KFTC. We have to get to the why cuttlefish have a longer attention span than your children, among other things. On the way, Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You have, and I hope this isn't opening any wounds here, been accused of talking more about yourselves than talking about the actual news. How do you respond to that? Do you, do you think that's the role of a journalist? You know, Stephen, I usually do not pay any mind to my haters, but here's what I have to say about journalists. Anyone with a smartphone can report on atrocities at our southern border or follow troops through the blood-soaked hills of wherever, but how many people can ride a car to Midtown, climb 30 stories in an elevator, trust the same perfect stranger to do their hair and makeup every day, and show the audience that no matter the cost, they will contort their face to show how much they care? <laughs> wow. Uh, that's good sarcasm right there. The blood soaked hills of wherever. Oh, oh my, my God. God. That's dark. Yeah. Get that's their a... hair and makeup done by the same perfect stranger every day. That's some really good dry sarcasm from Tuning Out the News. Is that the name of the show, Sean? Yeah. Uh, Tuning Out the News. I guess they have different spin off. This is there from their show, quote unquote, Virtue Signal. Um, and so they have a couple different versions of kind of the parodies of modern news media, uh, and they are all hilarious. <laughs> and contort their face to show how much they care. <laughs> and that is available on the 317th streaming service competing for your eyeballs and dollars, the Paramount folks. Okay. I can't afford all of these. I should add up. Maybe I'll do that this weekend for, uh, for shiggles. Add up how many, what my, all my streaming <laughs> services come to. Did you just say shiggles? I did. I explained that expression to my son the other day. He found that hilarious. He couldn't stop laughing. (laughs) I'll bet. My will-be-11-year-old on Sunday. (laughs) He thought that was so funny. Shiggles sounds like a condition you can get from handling cuttlefish. Uh, Yeah. So, do you remember the old marshmallow experiment, the Stanford marshmallow experiment? It goes back to the 60s. The idea was you leave a kid alone in a room with a marshmallow. Uh... And you tell them, uh, it, don't eat that marshmallow. I'll, I'll be back with, if you don't, I think they tell you that if you don't eat the marshmallow, you'll, you'll get to have two marshmallows. And I believe they, that is correct. And then they leave. And some kids will eat that one marshmallow after wow. they sit there for a while. Mm. Most kids will wait for the payoff of two marshmallows rather than eating the one marshmallow. Sixty uh, percent of the children uh, held out, and they recreated this test fairly recently too to show that the numbers held up. This has been used for decades of some sort of claiming about delayed gratification or patience or something like that, and predicting what you'd be like when you're older. It seems to me that they've now kind of debunked that with this cuttlefish uh, study. Cuttle spelled with T's. It's a kind of fish. 
Don't cuddle with fish. It's gross. Anyway, they did basically the same experiment with the fish. It's kind of hard and complicated to describe how they went about it, and I'm not sure I buy that it works. But anyway, because this kind of fish has to give up their cover to come out and eat, they're designed to not want to do that um, because they expose themselves to prey if they come out to eat. And they would, uh, they would, once they figured out they would get uh, more food, if they waited longer, they're willing to wait. But anyway, what, what it seems to me, and some researchers, the, the, the conclusion is, this is more about the way we're biologically designed to maximize food intake. Because up until fairly recently in human history, your number one problem every day, by far, was getting enough to eat so you don't starve to death. Right, enough Every calories that you life. don't die. That's yeah. why we all overeat so much, because, I mean, we, we, we spent so long making having to make that the focus of our lives. And uh, it, it's really got more to do with just, you know, various interpretations by people's brains of, do I need to get more of this food right now to survive? It, it's not really predicting patience or abil- ability to delay gratification. That's what I take from it, and at least one researcher did having watched the cuttlefish do it. Because it's not... The, the cuttlefish don't have a delaying gratification problem. How's a cuttlefish going to eat a marshmallow? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I assume fish don't have a, you know, fish that are willing to delay gratification. And think about the big picture. Um, survive right. better. It's just, it's just a maximizing food intake thing. It's not... It's not its judgment of character or anything like that. You don't think the cuttlefish are buying a used car so that they'll have money for retirement and that sort of thing? That's funny because that marshmallow thing, it, it seemed like a very, is your kid a Homer Simpson or a Lisa Simpson test? Very good, very good. But it may not be valid. Wow, that's too bad. Yeah, eh, it always struck me as a little simplistic, but... How do they get the fish to eat marshmallows? And Don't the marshmallows get crazy soggy? There yeah, it, would the just, ocean? it would just dissolve. Be gross. Float up at the top. I don't. It's, it, this, this whole thing's flawed. I don't like marshmallows that much. You could leave me in a room with a marshmallow all day long. I'm not going to eat it. Now, if it was like a plate of biscuits and gravy, I might attack the guy who brought it in before he sets it on the table. <laughs> Tell me where there's more. <laughs> don't. Where? Where's, where are you keeping the gravy? Tell me. Jack Bauer style, <laughs> shoving socks in his mouth. <laughs> Wow. I work with crazy people. (laughs) We're going to take a look at the craziness at the border and a bunch of other things in Hour 3. Armstrong and Getty.